Love a rugby league same game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. All the Supercoach episodes are done, but Barnsley is here with your talking footy content still, and we're going to keep going with that all the way through the final series and beyond. This week, very special guest, love having the catfish on, Wilfred Z, former Supercoach champion, host and founder of the NRL Supercoach Champions Podcast and All-Stars regular. Wilfred, welcome back on board, mate. Thanks, Barnsley. Thanks for getting me on again. It's nice to be able to chat when Supercoach is in the rearview mirror and we can just focus on finals. And uh, thankfully, both the teams we support are are still alive. Surprisingly for me, (laughs) but yes, uh, it has been a good uh, final series so far in the early goings. Uh, That's going to be a lot about what we're talking about, Uh, but certainly your Supercoach episodes are over. I'm sure you'll be back in the preseason then once the picker comes out. So anyone that wants to jump on the Champions podcast, make sure you do that in the preseason as well. Uh, but, I mean, look, we should – everyone that listens to this probably knows you from the Supercoach world as well. You know, how did you, you know, finish off on the season? How did you find it? You're feeling probably a little bit relieved that it's over, but were you happy with the end? Uh, look, I, I wasn't unhappy. I could have been a little bit happier. I always want to try finishing the top 1,000. Didn't quite make it this year. Uh, in the 2900s rank wise so it's it's okay I mean I've had worse but yeah it was more just like I, I thought I, I'd geared up for a big finish and then you know had like three or four players rubbed out from the actual team list so it wasn't even the initial you know the carnage that I managed to dodge a lot of so look, it it was a really long season that's what it felt like and I think that's why there's a bit of a you know a huge sigh of relief that it's now over but yeah, look, I'm sure it won't take too long before we feel the itch and we want to play Supercoach again. So I've got NFL fantasy to keep me busy at the moment, though. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I've got um, my, I'm organizing my NBA fantasy leagues at the moment, of which I've got like seven, and they're all different formats and stuff, very different to Supercoach. So, you know, it's, it's NBA fantasy time. NBL Supercoach is launching this year, which is great, too. So I'm going to get hugely into that with the NBL season, too. So, We've all got, and NFL kicked off just the other day as well. So, um, so your NFL's already underway. So there's a lot of good off-season stuff for the Supercoach nutbags to get into. But let's talk about real footy. Finals, first of all. So we had the first week of finals, and I think there were some surprises and some not-so-surprising results. The first game was your Broncos 26-0 over the Melbourne Storm. I thought this was surprising. You might have been a bit more confident than me being the resident Broncos fan, but I looked at this and went, wow, this could be the big upset because the Melbourne Storm opened in the betting markets on Picklebet at about $2.55 as big outsiders, but they have a huge record against the Brisbane Broncos. And obviously you had Pappenhausen back on the bench with a couple of games under his belt, the Melbourne Storm basically full strength. And Adam Reynolds had been out for a few weeks and, and was obviously back and stuff, but you just sort of thought, well, this looks like a bit of an ambush. And it was, it was just the other way around. 
I did not expect the Broncos to go 26 nil, and it was a very dominant performance where the Storm looked like, you know, it, it almost looked like to me it was one of those old final systems where you used to have like one verse eight. <laughs> it was like in the first week of the finals, you got the top sides beating up against the bad teams. And, you know, that that's really what it felt like. Melbourne were really inept, inept with the ball in the hand. Um, their attack was really poor. And they only had a, a 68% completion rate, which is very un-Melbourne-like, especially in finals when they normally step up. They really got dominated in the forwards as well, who I thought were pretty weak. Uh, they only made one line break for the game, by the way, but 57 missed tackles. It's like they were they were terrible with the ball, but then they missed almost 60 tackles in the game as well. It was just one of those performances where Craig Bellamy was rightfully blowing up afterwards. And I don't mean to not give credit to your Broncos. We'll, we'll talk about them in a minute, but... Jeez, you, uh, Melbourne have got all sorts of problems after that game. Yeah, look, I, I don't mind starting off the storm because, you know, as a Broncos fan, especially one who's obviously watched a lot of footy uh, in recent years and just been like, I'm, I'm, I've got mental scars when we play the storm because I've just been to so many floggings and shellackings at the hands of the storm. Like, it doesn't even matter how good or bad the Broncos were going. We always used to lose to them, right? That's why there's that massive record that's finally broken. But I have to say this time around, I, I genuinely felt like the, the Broncos were, yeah, better placed, I guess you could say, to to take them out. I was quietly confident we'd win, but look, I didn't think we'd shut them out at all. And I, I definitely, like, I was really happy with how the Broncos played for the most part. But I do feel this is one that the Storm really didn't show up for. I feel like Harry Grant tried to be that kind of pest uh, you know, annoying guy who was trying to get under the skin of the Broncos early on, and that kind of backfired. It felt like he took him away from his natural game. And then, yeah, I feel like he had one of his worst games ever in the NRL. Munster was kept quiet, like they were targeting him. And and I think as he made defensive errors, it kind of took his, you know, he, he was off his game with the ball in hand. Huge, you could tell, just wasn't 100% fit. And I guess, yeah, like me and he tried hard, but I think once the other three were kind of, out of sorts, like Mini did too. You know, he doesn't have that superstar power to to kind of just create everything on his own. So I, I feel like once that was the case, and then the Broncos, you know, they they played a an effective game through the middle, which I think they should have, like given the the packs that they had. And like honestly, the the other thing that I really had an issue with with the Storm team was the centers, like Young Tonamapea and and Seve. They just like you can't match them up against Stags and Farnworth, and that was clear. You know, that was really exposed multiple times by the Broncos. So uh, all in all, like I'm happy with all in all, I'm happy with the way the Broncos played, but I do feel like the storm kind of yeah helped the Broncos a lot. And look, I'll, I'll get out in the front foot here and I'll say, look, the Broncos did get some nice calls, but it, it definitely wasn't all, you know, one way traffic there. The 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 storm were allowed to get away with bloody murder in the ruck as they normally do. <laughs> I thought the ruck was terrible for both teams, actually. Like I thought, both, I thought both teams were... I thought the Ruck was managed appallingly by the referee. I agree with that. But I guess you like the, the reality is, even with how dominant the Broncos' forwards were, I think the average play to ball speed was like almost four seconds for the Broncos and the Storm were like down at 3.39 mm. seconds. So you can tell that the Storm were getting away with a lot more in terms of wrestling still. But yeah, I do agree. It wasn't really well policed at all. I'm going to be super controversial here, and I don't even think it's controversial, but I'm going to say it's super controversial because there is a bloke that just seems to, with fans in the media, just not really get the finger pointed at him like other guys. And like, I'll, 
as a Roosters fan, I'll use a Roosters example. You know, everybody was talking about the, the demise of James Tedesco and blaming James Tedesco for the Roosters' losses in the Roosters' season very, very quickly. His form actually turned around, but it, he copped it. And rightly or wrongly, he did as one of the best players and a representative player in the New South Wales, in the, in the Roosters' side. And Cameron Munster this year, I've said it a few times, I think he's been poor. Like, not just not at his best, but I actually think he's been poor. And in this game, again, I'm going to call him out because there's not enough people in the media or even the fan bases that seem to be doing it. He just seems to be immune from as much criticism as some other guys. He he was being targeted. And I was talking to a friend of mine that I was watching this with. I was like, watch, watch these replays from the Broncos. They're targeting his off shoulder when they're running and two tries came directly from it. One of them was a out and out miss from him. That was a Jersey grab that 20 years ago, you would have been roped off for doing. Okay. It was that bad. The attempt for me on one of those tries, the second one that went through as a try, it wasn't his fault. He slid and, and had his man and it hit his outside shoulder. He didn't have a great attempt at it, but again, they were targeting him there. Uh, and it's this storyline that's sort of under the radar that months has actually been, doing pretty badly defensively the last couple of years. And this year, it's been ominous the amount of tries that he's led in or tackles that he's missed where he hasn't put his body on the line. And it's been poor. And then when you have a look at him with the ball in hand, he's not creating many opportunities. He only ran the ball eight times, missed four tackles, conceded a penalty, had an error. And I just, it's not just that he's not stepping up. He's been invisible in attack for them. And defensively, he's actually been a liability at times. And I just can't believe... Yeah, and people are going to storm supporters, especially going to blow up out. Look, I think Cameron Munster is a phenomenal player and he can still turn it around, but I just can't believe um, how much he's just been Teflon and everything's just sort of nobody's really having a go at him about his form. You know, I think it's been bad and I think it's a big reason why they're not going well. Yeah, honestly, I, I agree with a lot of that. I do think one of the issues that he's had to, I guess, deal with is having Trent Liero on his outside, it's certainly not helped him. And and I, I think that's, yeah, obviously contributed. I, I agree with what, a lot of what you said, though. It's still on him. I imagine the reason he hasn't had as much of the spotlight um, or, or the blowtorch, as you might say, it, the way the Teddy copped it is because at the end of the day, Storm still finished top four, right? And and obviously, the Roosters were, were bottom four at stages in this year. Uh, as you say, he turned it around. And I do think he's definitely played much better the last couple of weeks. So you know, as he often does, right? At the back end of the season, that's often when Teddy steps it up. So uh, I feel like that's probably the difference there. But I agree. I don't think enough has been said about how Munster's just been off his game. Maybe he can chalk up some of it to to injury. Maybe it's, you know, everything else that's been going on. Obviously, he had his second child and stuff like that, which, you know, it was definitely a distraction from from what I understand. So, yeah, look, it's it's not an excuse at the end of the day. He's It's his job. He's got to get it done. And he, he really hasn't done that this year. So I agree with what you've said there. Yeah. And look, the other thing too was that this was touted. I think the expectations were there too, because this was touted as a possible career year for him. He was off the grog. He, he was, you know, back into the training as hard as he could. He said he had to be more professional and stuff. Getting back on the grog, let him go out. Like, far out. Like, <laughs> he was way better before, you know. It's, it's, it's not all on him. It's just that he's such an important player for the Storm for me. And when you're talking about a, a, an attack that's inept, you know, it's going to rely on Harry Grant, Hughes and Munster. And like you pointed out, the other two guys weren't much better either. Um, look, we need to talk about your Broncos, though. I, I I, I want to give them credit with a slight caveat that, like you said, you know, the 
I think the Storm really weren't up to this game. But both Walsh and Reynolds, um, I had concerns about going into this one. Walsh and Reynolds have both, you know, had different, uh, indifferent running to the finals through the games that they've missed and stuff and everything else. And um, they both played really well. Reynolds ended up with two tries. Uh, he controlled the game really well. Uh, and the forwards as well, you know, you know, you imagine that Payne Haas and Carrigan are going to have big games, but far out, like Carrigan, 25 tackles, 21 runs, a couple of offloads, and Haas, 26 and 17 with his tackles and, and runs. And both of them were pretty unstoppable. And both of them are running for like 200 metres each. And they just ran rampant in the middle, which I guess was why some of those outside backs, including Reynolds with his um, instigating of the of the attack, you know, found it so easy against the storm, but they really ripped them apart on the edges. And you know, I, I couldn't fault anything that the Broncos did. Um, I do question though whether if they had sat like if they were against Penrith week one, you know, is it anywhere near that type of score one? Do they even get the win? I'm not sure. You know, how do you sort of rate the barometer for their performance week one? I think, you know, if I had to give a let's say a rating out of 10, I'd give them a you know, a 7.5. There's definitely still improvement there. They were still making a lot of errors uh, unnecessarily, like more than I'd like to see, especially at a finals level. And as you say, you know, against a team like the Panthers where, you know, you give them enough possession, they're going to just grind you down and, and crush you and then, you know, wear you down and, yeah, obviously score points at the back of it. Like I think that's where it would have been a really uh, difficult situation. Like, I know their goal line defense has definitely been better and they've even showcased that against the Panthers in, in their two meetings this year, but yeah, at finals level, you can't you can't give away that much cheap ball. And I think the Broncos, that's where I was like, you know, the Storm helped them by not capitalizing. Like they had more later balls in the in the Broncos red zone uh, compared to the other way around. And I, I know part of that is because the Broncos like to score more long-range tries. I think they're still leading the NRL, um, you know, in, in, in that category. But, yeah, I definitely do think, uh, yeah, there's room for improvement. They, they played well, but... Uh, what I do like to see is the fact that um, I think Haas only played 54 minutes, Carrigan only 60, and I think a reason for that, and I, I, I was, you know, trashing him earlier this year, but Keenan Palacio actually has really stepped up in the last, you know, five, six weeks. He's, uh, you know, in far better shape than what he was earlier, and his contributions off the bench have been actually quite impressive. I think that's, you know, when when the, the two big boys in Haas and Carrigan came off, like Palacio has been able to step up, and obviously, you know, Flegler's there as well. Like those guys have been, you know, the drop in quality is not anywhere near as it has been in the past. And I think that's really, really helped. Uh, plus with the scoreline, I do think that you know, Kevy took the, took it easier on Haas and Carrigan, didn't bring them back on as soon as they, they might've come on if the scoreline was a bit tighter. So yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, I feel, I feel like they're still building and I'm really hopeful that, uh, yeah, the prelim uh, is, is going to be, you know, another step up and then they can obviously peak at the right time of the season. <laughs> Well, I, I agree with the, the drop-offs as well because there's also, aside from place here, there's also guys like um, Walters who I'm quite critical about as a nine who's, who's been a lot better the last month of football uh, and then a few other guys like that too. Like Jordan Rickey's cleaned up his defensive woes that he had at the start of his career a bit this year and the Broncos have been second second best defensive side in the comp, which has gone a little bit unnoticed because of their high scoring and stuff. So, you know, that's a reason for the shutout as well. The The Penrith Panthers were the second game versus the, the Warriors and the Panthers 32, the Warriors six. This was really unfair to me for the Warriors. You know, I think that they had a really good season um, and they certainly surpassed my expectations. I had them as a bottom four team and they've done exceptionally well. And that's off the back of several career years from players. 
and also off the back of Webster, just being a phenomenal coach his first year out of the Penrith ranks. So uh, it's unfair because that you know they've they earned the right to play Penrith at Penrith round one of the finals, which was a tough ask. And then on top of that, they have Sean Johnson pull out the week of. So I don't think anyone really gave them much hope at all for this one. Uh, but you know, Toto scores in the fifth minute, and really. It was just Penrith all the way. There was a little bit of fight back with Wade Egan, who scored a nice nifty try in the 56 minute. But Penrith are never going to lose this one. And I have to say, I thought Nathan Cleary is absolutely outstanding. Like we talked about at times, Nathan Cleary not stepping up as much as what you'd like to see him relative to his stature in the game in big games, particularly in origin and in representative games, and also occasionally in finals games. He didn't have Luai there as his foil. And I thought he had one of the best one of the best finals games I've actually watched him play. He had a try, two line breaks, a try assist, two line break assists, uh, but he was taking on the line so much. He actually ran the ball 33 times and had three offloads himself. It was uh, an outstanding performance where he absolutely dominated, and I just thought he was everywhere. Uh, and I was uh, really pleased because without Luo there, I did kind of think, well, we're coming to finals now. You know, Cog is a nice guy to have in there during the year when you got someone out. but when you got Cogger in there partnering Cleary in the finals week one, what's that going to look like? It puts a bit of pressure on Nathan Cleary week one of the finals without Luai there. And he was outstanding, Wilfred. Yeah, 100% agree. I, I definitely think this was Cleary's best or, you know, if if not his best, definitely in the top five performances he's had, you know, in, in a game that really mattered, like finals or even origins. So, uh, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I don't think anyone had the Warriors much of a chance, especially once SJ was ruled out. But I think the domination was even, you know, more, I think, more than what we expected. So, yeah, the Panthers, like, they're definitely still the benchmark. They're the team to beat. And as much as I think the Broncos are a good shot at uh, upsetting them if they make it to the grand final, I uh, yeah, you'd have to still back the Panthers to potentially go to three-peat, which is kind of scary. Yeah, it's very tough to see, to see the Panthers, if they're playing like that, losing. Um, any more games really for the rest of the year and especially if Nathan Cleary plays like that it's it, it's going to be hard for anyone to beat them and I also have to give credit to the rest of the side too like those those back three um, I also felt in this game and I, I really don't think it's like a beat up against a weakened Warriors team like I do think the Warriors tried hard and, and did turn up but you kind of to me had the other Panthers players also stepping up to finals footy and, and going in that extra mm-hmm. gear. Like the back three, like Taruva ran the ball 20 times, had a try. Toto 21 times, had a try. Um, had 13 tackle breaks. Both of them are running for like close to 200 metres. Then you got Dylan Edwards at the back running the ball 26 times. It, it's just the amount of extra effort and step up from them. You know, Isaiah, you know, 26 runs, 43 tackles in the full 80 minutes as well. It was just, um, I felt that everyone stepped up as well to support Nathan Cleary behind him as well. So it, it's always a well-oiled machine, the Penrith Panthers, but it's it, it's great when you do get all these other guys stepping up as well, um, particularly guys like Taruva, who, who don't really have a lot of first-grade experience. But it's it, it's not just a Nathan Cleary team, I guess I'm saying, because through the year, certainly I did as well think, well, the Panthers are a little bit weaker than what they have been in prior years but we're still finding an extra gear for a lot of these other players, including the role players too. I think the other thing that really seemed to end the Warriors' chances of ever, you know, even competing in this game was Dylan Walker in the halves. <laughs> like He's actually been quite good at, off the bench for them and, and, and playing that middle role. And, well, he's an out-and-out middle now, isn't he? Yeah. It was a bit of a strange decision to me. 
Exactly. And they missed it, right? And they put Lasik on to onto the bench to I imagine, you know, they often have Sirinan there to to play Egan's, you know, backup hooker role. And by putting Lusik on, like I think they wanted Sirinan to play more in the middle, but just just he he couldn't handle it. He didn't have the impact anywhere near as much as when Dylan Walker and Jazz Devan come off the bench together. They're they're a great combo and, and Webster's been using them really well like that all season. I think the other thing that, and not to criticize too much, but for Noah Blake, he's been fantastic all season, but it looked like he was off the pace this game. Like once the Panthers went that extra level up intensity wise, speed wise, he wasn't coping. And, you know, maybe that's the the grind of the full season. It's finally caught up to him or whatever, or maybe it's the lack of, you know, the impact from the other middles uh, on the team, but it, it definitely looked like he was struggling big time. So I I think, yeah, I'm I'm sure Webster will address that because he, uh, as you say, he's had a really, really good season as a, a rookie head coach. And I definitely think he's, um, you know, made adjustments, the right adjustments more often than not. So hoping that, uh, yeah, they'll be able to fix that this week. Sydney Roosters 13, Cronulla Sharks 12. I was amazed at this performance. Um, I saw a, a bit of a mixed bag of, uh, I guess, opinions from fans on this game. Uh, some people thought that the, the Roosters weren't that good anyway. Um, others did. I actually, as a Roosters fan, was extremely proud of how the Roosters played because it's I couldn't have asked any more from them. I didn't think like it was uh, one of those games where I think they could have easily lost by 30 points with the amount of possession um, going against them and also... Uh, the the fact that Teddy got that sin min for 10 minutes and they were already under strength and then they ended up losing more and more players as we went along in the game. Joey Manu was obviously a big loss uh, and you already had everybody that was already on the sideline. I just didn't know. And, and going into the second half, I, I said to everyone that I was watching with, I'm, I'm really worried about the second half because I don't know how much gas they're going to have left in the tank after that first half where the Sharks had a mountain of possession and the Roosters were starting to get injuries. And then when Manu goes down in the in the 50th odd minute, you just sort of think, well, it, it would be it would be fair enough if they just couldn't keep up with the pace and the Sharks went over the top of them. Um, and then when the sin bin happened, I just I was resigned to the fact that I don't think we can win this one. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the Roosters just kept turning up each for each other. And I think that as a Roosters fan, as a fan of rugby league as well, that's what I love to see in the finals. It's it's one of those things where it's kind of missed, I guess, on some fans that don't really rate it. But for me, the finals is all about being able to find that extra gear, being able to find the energy that you don't have during the season, being able to turn up for the guy next to you, being able to make that extra inch to get to that tackle, being able to put in for your jersey and for your mate next to you. And it sounds a lot like a lot of cliches, but those are the type of uh, step up in gear that gets teams across the line and into grand finals. That's that's finals football. Being able to turn up and in adversity not have it rock you mentally as well because mentally I thought we were very strong and resolved. Um, and I, I was pretty amazed at that, to be honest. But I, I'm talking from a Roosters fan perspective. I actually would have been proud of the boys if they lost that game still. But how did you feel as a neutral fan watching this one? Oh, it was such a good game to watch as a neutral, I think. Uh, you know, if... If I was a Roosters fan or a Sharks fan, I'd be just like too too much heart attack territory to really enjoy it. Uh, I you know I won't lie. Uh, when Teddy got uh, Simbin, I was like, Roosters are gone here. They won't come back uh, on top of the injuries and everything else that you guys were dealing with already. So, you know, I'm going to go out and limb and say this is possibly the gutsiest game I've seen the Roosters ever play 
like in recent memory, like let's say in the last five, six years, especially without Maria Hargraves in the lineup, like there's been times where he's put you guys on his back and, you know, let her come back. But this is, you know, it was really, really uh, impressive to me. Like it was such a, um, yeah, just the, as you know, to it's cliche, but like they just literally dug deep and just refused to go away. And, you know, maybe you can put some of the blame on the Sharks for not putting them to the sword because they should have. They should have scored at least one more try, I reckon, whilst Teddy was off. Uh, they should have been able to run over the the um, the Roosters at the back end with, you know, they were down to like 15, I think, at one stage. So, yeah, you know, maybe you could say that there's as much as Sharks not turning up um, and not doing what they needed to do to win. But, yeah, you can't, you got to give credit to the Roosters. They were absolutely... Fantastic. Radley's probably had two of the better games I've seen him play in a long in a long while. He was outstanding, yeah, right? absolutely outstanding. It was um yeah, like he's copped a fair bit in recent years for some of the dumb stuff he does, but when he gets his head right and when he plays well, like yeah, he was definitely one of the reasons you guys were able to hang in there and win. Uh I really like I think you guys have a absolute superstar in, in Sewell Wong. Like for him to be playing this well as a in his rookie season in finals footy and do the stuff he was doing, like, yeah, really, really impressive. And it's it's kind of funny, but I actually think Sandon Smith was really good for you guys when he came on off the bench. <laughs> like I, I it won't get talked about much, but he actually I felt like he had a huge impact. A lot of energy, a lot of um, you know, creativity and did some really smart stuff. Uh, and I think he earned a couple of six agains at, at critical times. Like, yeah, really, really cool to see someone like that. You know, he's he's not a he's not a hooker, right? And he was doing some great stuff there. So, yeah, really, really impressive from you guys. And look, we got to talk about Billy Smith, obviously. You know, playing what you know half the game, I think, with a fractured yep. jaw or something. Yeah, really, really brave. Yeah, he's he's got to have surgery and he's out. So the Roosters' entire backline minus Tedesco is is basically out now. Um, outside back. So it, it's just crazy um, the amount of players that have been out and stuff. And, and again, look, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little bit of a, a go at that Billy Smith one because I'm got to sort of center myself for this <laughs> mini rant. I'm someone who doesn't like players getting sin binned or sent off or, you know, penalties being blown all the time and stuff. I'm a bit more old school, not entirely. I don't want, you know, punch ups every five minutes and stuff, but a little bit more old school than some in that I think that they overcall the game sometimes and overpunish players for, for regular tackles and end up creeping high and stuff and they get sent to the bin. I cannot believe that no one in the commentary box, the bunker, nobody cared about Hazleton putting his shoulder into Billy Smith's face. Like if we're going back to rules, you know, past and stuff, and we're saying that's fine, I'm okay with that. But I don't want to bring up the whole consistency thing, but I am going to, Wilfred. You know, you had, like, people getting sent off entirely six weeks ago for absolute overreactions and little tiny slaps that Nick Cora gave David Fafita on the face getting sent to the bin. This was shoulder contact direct to the head, high, no mitigating circumstances. And that is almost... That would have been a send-off six weeks ago and it would have been a sin bin all year and it didn't even get spoken about. And people talk about, well, what was the impact of it? Well, Billy Smith played with a broken jaw, you know? And I just can't believe that it wasn't even spoken about. Yeah, look, I, I don't think that's an unjustified rant at all. I, I, I agree. I, I think there should have been something done, you know, to, to to flip it around, like if Radley did that or if, you know, obviously Jared wasn't playing, but if he, he was 
he'd be in the bin or sent off, right? Well, they'd have to play in the Super League because their career would be ended, basically. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> be over. Yeah, pretty much. So I definitely think, um, yeah, it was, you know, I wonder if it was a little bit of a water finals game, but we, we can't ref it the same way. But that's obviously, you know, that's an issue in itself, right? But yeah, like, agree with your sentiments. They should have done something. Uh, obviously and i'm fine for them to ref every game like that but you have to do it every game right yeah. you can't just do it for some games and not others uh look for the sharks i'm, I'm going to defend the sharks a little bit here i didn't think that they were terrible at all you know teams have had a go at the sharks and stuff but i think if anyone watched that game you know the roosters defense was really good and i thought that the sharks were quite frustrated at times and i thought that Hines really did everything he could you know, he was running the ball. He was absolutely everywhere. He actually had two tries. He had two line break assists for their only two tries. Uh, you know, I, I thought that he did well. He didn't make any errors. He didn't concede any penalties. He was working his butt off to try and create something for, for that team. And I don't think that the Sharks overall were poor. I just think that it was a, a dour game. And the Roosters have got that finals experience in that club for the last decade and certainly in their DNA to be able to step up and, and the Sharks just don't have that yet because they're, they're not at that point of that club's history where they've got that, you know, sustained finals running them just yet. Um, but I didn't think that the Sharks played poorly. Do you think I'm off off point with that? Poorly's probably a bit harsh. I don't think they played well. They should have won this game. Like I will say, like as, as, as much as the Roosters earned the win, the Sharks shouldn't have lost. And I feel like they did. Uh, you know, I've I've been a bit of a fan's probably a bit too much. I I do like Brayley as a hooker. I think he has you know improvement in him, but he had one of his worst games. I reckon he he bombed at least two tries. I think clear tries, just picking the wrong wrong option. I think uh, you know they had a massive overlap. Well, the one that sticks in my mind, they had like a you know, they had like a two man overlap on the left, and he decided to go back on the right side. And yeah. Mm. That was a, you know, like if he converts that, like, and then, then there was the other try where he dropped it, you know, he just had to catch it and ground it. So he didn't have one of his best best games. And I think that that was, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I do think the Sharks lost this, lost, lost this game rather than the Roosters, um, you know, they played well. They did everything they needed to do. But yeah, on paper, like with the opportunities they had, I, I feel like the Sharks should have won. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll probably leave it at that. <laughs> No, that's fair. Uh, I, I didn't think they played badly, but you know, I can concede that they definitely had the opportunities to win and they could have done a bit more than what they did. Uh, I don't think much is on Hines. I do think it was sort of outside of him. And yep. also, you know, Kiri and Tedesco, those charge downs, they're incredible. And that was just, that sort of summed up that performance in that game. You know, the Sharks, you know, were making the right plays, but the Roosters were just so desperate for the win and they got there. Uh, let's talk about the last game. Newcastle Knights 30, Canberra Raiders 28. I was absolutely shocked at the start of this, Wilfred. Um, so the Raiders just ran in and dominated that first half, really. Like, Marju scored in six minutes. You sort of thought, oh, here we go. You know, the, this is the game that we thought it was going to be. Uh, easiest game to predict of the round. Newcastle's going to run right. They're playing at Newcastle against the Raiders, who are struggling and won, like, four out of the last 13 or something. And then all of a sudden, um, the Raiders score three tries in a row heading into half time to be up 18 to, what, six? It was uh, quite surprising to start with. Yeah, look, absolutely agree. I think when Marju went off, as you say, in the first five, six minutes, I was like, yeah, what's this going to end up at? Uh, but to their credit, I mean, the Raiders have, they have that ability to turn up right and make life difficult for whoever they go against. And they just did that for the rest of the first half. 
And you know, when the Knights lost Hastings to that injury, I, I was like, oh, well, the, the Knights are gone here. But gosh, Kellen Ponga, right? <laughs> just un- unbelievable that he just, yeah, he hit a different gear. He realized what was on the line. And just the second half from him was, was just freakish. Like, I mean, it's, it's such a cop-out word, but <laughs> I genuinely don't know how, to, how else to describe the stuff he does. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at the numbers, you'd think that the Raiders won. 57% possession, 84% completion rate. The Knights completed 70%. Uh, it was it was amazing numbers. The Knights missed 49 tackles, so the Raiders 31. They had 15 errors to the, to the Raiders 9. It was just ridiculous, the numbers. And yet, at second half, all it needed was a Kalen Ponga masterclass and Dom Young scoring another two tries, and, and Raiders' season's yeah. over. That's, uh, you know, it, it, it just shows that as long as the Knights hang in there and, and you know, don't let the scoreline blow out too much, they only need one mistake, right, from the opposition, one missed tackle, and Pong is gone or, or Dom, Dom Young's streaked away. And, yeah, it feels like that's literally what happened, you know. The Knights just gritted their teeth, hung on, hung on. They had half a sniff, and then all of a sudden, you know, that's another two tries for the Knights. And Yeah, the, the Raiders, you know, they scored a couple of late tries to make the score a little bit more respectable, but I, I think the, yeah. Then, then the finish right with the golden point that that was just wild. I didn't see that. I thought the the Raiders were gone after you know fifteen minutes to go. Mm. <laughs> it was a great game of football to watch. It was probably the most entertaining game of the round, I think. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I think the Raiders fans can probably hold their head up high, and the Raiders team too. Like I think that they were well and truly underdogs, and and they pushed the Knights to the limit on one. And I don't think you could ask for too much more, especially when you're looking at a side that. Puts White in at centre, has Frawley in the halves. You know, considering the roster that they've put on the field for this round uh, and how poorly they've played the last probably three months of football, I don't think the Raiders could have done much more. I think that they went out as well as what they could have, if that's not too much of a backhanded compliment. No, I think that's fair. Like, they probably put their best performance for, you know, the last two or three months out on the field in the game that counted the most. So that's probably another way of backhandedly complimenting them as well. Well, they couldn't have done much better and they still lost. So it's unfortunate, but, you know, they've only got so much juice. It's uh, when you've got a Corolla up against a Ferrari, it's, um, you know, you can only keep up with it for so long and the Raiders just weren't going to win this one, I don't think. Uh, although I was a bit worried the first half for Newcastle fans. Let's move along and talk about this round, Wilfred. We've got two games. The first one's on Friday night with the Melbourne Storm hosting the Sydney Roosters at Amy Park. I am just going to get out on a limb and say it. Like, if you think that last week was one of the best Roosters wins in the last six or seven years, if they manage to beat the Storm this week with the side that they've named, it might go down as the biggest victory of all time. They've, they're absolutely decimated. Their back line, obviously Walker, Kiri in the halves, they've still got Tedesco at fullback, but their centres are Allen and Momorowski. And... Jackson Barlow and uh, and Young Ponga on the wings. The Storm should, on paper, absolutely carve the Roosters this week. But if the Storm play like they did last week and the Roosters play like they did last week, is that result going to come through? Or are we going to have a little bit of a grind out again that maybe the Roosters are more suited to? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I mean, you look at the the back line, as you said, that's that's your New South Wales Cup lineup, isn't it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure those Yeah, and four... I don't think I don't think those guys have even played well in New South Wales Cup. I'm pretty sure those four <laughs> played New South Wales Cup at some point today this this year. That exact lineup, two to five. So yeah. Uh having said that, you know, Seve is not 
he's not a superstar. He's had some good games and he looked like a reserve grade option last week. Olin was dropped, right? And and he's been brought back into the team. And yeah, I wonder, you know, I wonder if there's a potential for a late swap in there. Like, I wonder, like, you know, they've got Farlon in, in number 22 there and it's hard to hard to argue that he has impact, right? He's got X factor and, and I wonder if the Storm need that if, you know, there's stars in Munster and Hughes and Grant and them can't stand up. But yeah, I guess the, you know, the, the issue is obviously with no Pappenhaus and uh, yeah, I can, I can see Falongo maybe sneaking in as the 14. Yeah, I could see that. And he, he's been quite good in his limited opportunity in first grade. I look, I, I'm going to tip the storm, even though I'm a, I'm an ardent Roosters fan. I just, I also question how much last week has taken out of the Roosters emotionally, mentally, yep. physically. It's taken a lot out of them. Like guys like Tedesco and Kiri and in the forwards, like guys like Nat Butcher, absolutely put in everything that they had. Uh, then you've got young guys like Wong who who played great, but it's going to be really draining for him to back that up again this week. Uh, yep, I agree. The the one good thing for the Roosters that I can take as a positive going in this is one is the actual spine's untouched. It's, it's actually the full-strength spine with Brandon Smith finally healthy, Kiri and Walker in the halves and Tedesco at the back. That's probably the only saving grace where I think that I give us a, a, an inch of a chance. Um, but if the Storm play to their potential, you know, they really, if if Hughes and Munster are fair income, they should absolutely carve up that Roosters back on. They really, really should. Even if the forward battle's a little bit even, which it could be, the, those guys should absolutely carve up that Roosters back on. And if they don't, uh, I, I'm i going to say I think that they will, Wilfred. But if they don't, this might be one of the first times in the last decade that the Melbourne Storm might need to start asking some questions about that roster and uh, and what's going on and what future success is going to look like. I'd hope that they, they'd be asking questions already, right? Because, you know, they, they've got the superstar spine, but the rest of the players, you know, the pack's really, it's lacking, right? I know at least Katoa, he's, uh, you know, he's promising and he's had some really good games this year. But you know, for someone like, you know, Christian Walsh, who's got, you know, a great reputation and, you know, I, I, I accept that he's, you know, probably a really good leader, a great club man, you know, smart off the field and all that type of stuff. But his on-field del- delivery... His obvious performances just haven't lived up to the hype. And, you know, like Kamikamitha hasn't developed. Josh King's just a bit of a plotter. Liero's, you know, I, I feel like he's out of his depth, unfortunately. So, you know, Big Nelson, he's he's Big Nelson, right? He's just inconsistent as all hell. So he'll have those games where he just takes it away from the opposition. But there's just a lot of, you know, have they just got too much invested into the spine and not enough to fill out the rest of the roster? Like Bellamy's walked that tightrope really well for many years, but it feels like this year is just, you know, it's just not there. I totally agree with the Fords. Like you nailed it with all those guys. I've been really impressed with Katoa, but other than that, you know, the other, someone like Welsh looks five years older in football years than what he really is. Um, And I don't see that really changing. Normally when you have big Fords do that, they never really buck that. That's sort of the downward spiral for them. Um, And, yeah, I think you nailed it with all of them. And that's, you know, whereas the Roosters, forwards, you've got a lot of young guys that are pretty hungry there. And sometimes you do get a changing of the guard where you think a team is is under strength with young guys, but it's actually the changing of the guard where you have young guys like Wong and also even Butcher 
And Egan Butcher, who's been great in the middle for the Roosters, actually step up and have some career games and start to, you know, put their stamp on being an NRL player. Um, I could see that happening in the forward pack. I think you've nailed it with the Storm forwards. Yeah, and, like, to... Like, I think if the Roosters win, it'll be off the back of, yeah, like, Lindsay Collins. I, we didn't talk about him before, but he was... He's just been so good for you guys this year, right? <laughs> just stepped up in the level. He really seems like he's really wanting to, to put his hand up and be the new forward leader for you guys. And, yeah, I think off the back of Collins and, you know, Terrell May has been really effective, impressive for you guys off the bench as well. Yeah, um, if he's playing 20 to 25 minutes, he can be really good. Yeah, not not too many minutes. Otherwise, he gets a bit lazy defensively, right? And I know Angus Crichton, he's not quite, you know, the Crichton we've had from previous years. But I feel like, at least last week, he, he had one of his better games this year anyway. But, yeah, uh, if you guys are going to win, it's going to be off the back of dominating the Storm in the in the forwards and yeah, letting your spine go to work, right? Well, that's going to be the game plan. Like, I think the wrists would be happy if it's a grind out like week one of the finals. I think that's what they're going to be looking for. They're going to want a, a grinding, ugly forward battle and a bit of a war of attrition and to grind out that win. Whereas I think if the Storm are really serious, they're going to want to really target that back line and obliterate the Roosters out wide. And they've got the stars to do that, whether they actually execute it this week. That's going to be the big question. Yep. Um, but certainly I, I thought going into these finals with the Storm full strength, they could be a bit of a smoky to, to, to go through even and even get to a grand final. But last week they were so poor. I can't possibly think that. But at the same time, there's no way I'm betting on the Roosters at all, <laughs> even though I'm a Roosters fan. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to... I'm just going to cling and hope, but playing at Amy Park is going to also favour the Storm. Um, so big, big game on Friday, but also on Saturday, we're going to have somebody go home out of Newcastle and the Warriors. This makes me a little sad. I really like both these teams. I wanted to see, it, you know, hopefully both of them in the prelims, but at least we'll get one of them, right? <laughs> well, everyone loves the underdogs, and these are two of them, right? The Warriors have really outperformed where everyone expected them to go this year, uh, the Knights especially. You know, the Knights have what? Um, at what, how many games in a row are the Knights at now? 11 or something? It's, yeah, it's in double digits for sure. Ridiculous run from the Newcastle Knights. And, and you love to see the great players on fire. And I don't, I hate to bring up the Jared Hayne run of 2009, but geez, if, if, if anyone can replicate it, you know, Calvin Pong has probably come the closest at the moment. You know, if Newcastle go all the way to the grand final somehow, it's going to be up there with the, with the Jared Hayne run of 09 and what Calvin Pong has done in the last three months. Um, it's hard, though, because it's in New Zealand. And I think that the, the Newcastle Knights in particular play a lot better when they're in Newcastle at McDonald James Stadium. Yeah. And likewise, the Warriors have got a packed-out house in New Zealand where you're not going to get many fans travelling either, right? Like, if you have, uh, I don't know, like the Roosters versus Sharks, it's not that hard to travel. But when you're going across the ditch to New Zealand, you're not going to get many home fans booking a flight. So that's going to be a huge advantage for the Warriors, uh, as is Sean Johnson being back. So... I'm, I'm actually not sure what way to go on this one, Wilfred. How are you seeing it play out? I think a lot of it's just going to come down to Sean Johnson. If he plays, I'm going to have to lean towards the Warriors, uh, especially, you know, playing at home as well. Uh, if the Knights win, it'll, it'll just literally be off the back of Ponga doing something freakish again. So <laughs> I think, you know, not to dumb it down too much, but I, I really think that's the case. I don't mind the Knights pack, but I don't think they're they're strong enough to you know, to overrun the Warriors pack the way that the Panthers did last week. So I feel like they're, they're fairly evenly matched. If not, I actually lean towards the Warriors having the better pack as long as, you know, Fanua Blake has one of his you know, better games, not not like he did last week. 
Uh, but yeah, it's it's just going to come down to SJ. I think if he's fit uh, enough to play this round, I, I don't see the Warriors losing it. Yeah, I, I was actually going to bring up the same point. So to me, it's a, it's a really nice contrast. To me, the Warriors' big domination is in that forward pack. I'm not a big fan of Newcastle's forward pack. And I've, I've said before, it's kind of rudimentary. It sort of, it does its job. It's okay. But the Warriors' pack yeah. is actually really strong. Uh, and on paper, the Warriors' pack is much better than what the Knights is. So you reverse that, though, and you look at the back line and you sort of say, well, Newcastle's strength is their back line. They do have... Obviously, um, Hastings out, which is going to hurt, but Gamble's been quite good. Um, but the back three of Marju, Ponger, and Young, arguably, I would probably say the best back three in the game at the moment, Marju, Ponger, and Young. They are outstanding. And then when you're looking at centre combinations, there's not a lot of great centre combinations in the NRL. Best and Gagai is probably the informed one as well. So you look at that back line, and as a Roosters fan that's playing New South Wales Cup players this week, I'm super jealous because <laughs> that, that outside backs is just phenomenal. When you go through from four to one, it's just a it's just amazing. And that's not to uh, I guess disrespect the Warriors outside backs. Some of those guys have had career years. You know, CMK's been outstanding, DWZ's been outstanding, all the acronyms have been outstanding, but it's just not quite up to standard with what Newcastle can produce. So it's going to be a really interesting contrast game because the forwards for the Warriors, I think, can get them the win, whereas the backs for Newcastle, I think, can get them the win. So I'm actually really excited for this one. I think it's going to be a high-quality game and we're going to get to see some good scoring in it as well. Yeah, look, it's definitely one of the more exciting matchups that we you know, get to watch. And like not just this week, obviously, but like you know, in recent weeks, uh, I, you know, I just think it's going to be entertaining, right? Like, as SJ leading the Warriors around. They've put on some really, really great to watch tries. And, you know, Ponger at his at his best, it's he's yeah, he's untouchable at the moment. So I, I think to go back to your Hain uh, two thousand and nine comment, I think if Ponger had started the year at fullback, I wonder if this is, you know, we'd be looking at it more along the lines of, you know, do we compare Ponger's season to more like Turbo twenty twenty one? Right? That mm-hmm. that level of domination where it didn't matter what he wanted to do. Like, he could do it. <laughs> I felt like, yeah, Ponga's... Well, it's already up there. I think it's already up there with some of them. Like, a, another one I'd throw out, out to you is Ben Barber yeah. with his big season and finals run that he had with the Sharkies. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you said Barber, I was thinking of 2012 with the Doggies, right? When he won the Dalian. Well, you can go, you go for that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> he had a couple of good ones. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I wonder if, you know, Ponga was playing fullback all season, whether we'd look at it more, less like 2009, because... I think let's face it, like the Hayne really stepped up in the second half of the season, right? And that's kind of where it, there's a little bit more of the parallel here. But yeah, I definitely think um, I'm going to be keen to watch this game regardless. It's going to be yeah, very entertaining. I'm not going to bet on this one either, uh, but I'm going to say if Sean Johnson doesn't play, I think Newcastle's the specials for the upset for this round. Um, but if Sean Johnson does, geez, flip a coin, who knows? Yeah. We do need to take a quick break from the podcast, Talking Footy Episode 20, to have a bit of a chat about the great partner of the All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Jump on picklebet.com and have a look. They've got some fantastic promos each week of the NRL finals. Even the AFL finals have had, geez, the AFL finals ones. You go for a first goal scorer. If they score a goal in the first three goals, you get paid as a winner. That's crazy. But for the NRL... 
if you just want to go for the NRL, they've got that second try score promotion going again. So bet on the first try score markets, and if they come in second, not first, you'll get paid out as a winner. That's a phenomenal offer for this weekend. And I'll tell you what, the Newcastle Knights have got some value. You can get Dom Young at 10 bucks for first try, or second try, you'll get paid out on that as well. And you can get Greg Marju at 9 bucks for first try and get paid at second try scorer for that as well. So phenomenal offers that Picklebet keep throwing up for the NRL and AFL finals. They've also got great betting on e-gaming, also great betting on the racing, but they are a fantastic partner of the podcast. So if you do jump on, create an account today, make sure where it says affiliate code where you sign up, you say you put in all stars or one word, that's your affiliate referral code, all stars. Then they'll see that you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. But picklebet.com, Get on and have a look at those offers today. You can find the promos when you go into each game and there's a promo tab that you can open up. Make sure you go into that promo tab of each game that you want to bet on and they'll show you the promos that are available for it. But picklebet.com, jump on and have a bet today. Always think is this a bet that you really want to place for free and confidential support. You can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Next topic, uh, the pap injury. We didn't really get into it, but, uh, geez, it looked bad initially. Um, very good news, though. I think everybody felt for him with the type of injury that he had last year uh, and the 12-month rehab that he's had on it. It's You never want to see that happen to, to one of those players, especially one who's still so, so much career ahead of him. He's so young in the NRL and you just really want to see him get a few years together. Um, it was thought of as a compound fracture initially, it's been cleared as that it wasn't a compound fracture and they're actually looking at a 12 to 14 week timeline. Timeline. He's already had surgery on his ankle for the break. Oh, I think that's, it's, it's all quite positive really. Like the night of Wilfred, I think everybody was just so sad about it, but I actually think it's about as positive as you can be when you're looking at a 12 to 14 week injury, when it's at the end of the season, he's going to be back for off season training. And uh, it's, it's not as debilitating as what his last injury was at least. Yeah. I think you've summed it up there. I was, yeah, personally quite devastated when it happened. I just, you know, he's one of my favorite players to watch. And I feel like I enjoy watching rugby league when he's out there running around, even if I'm not watching him on the field, that's that moment. You know what I mean? Like just knowing he's, you know, out injured and, and obviously having to go through another long rehab, you just really feel for him after what he's been through. Uh, but you, you're right. Like it's pretty much the best case scenario for the type of injury he's got. So fingers crossed it's uh, nowhere near as complicated as last time. And he gets a straightforward recovery and we see him back out there uh, next season and hopefully getting back to full speed and full strength. Cause I know that still, you know, a work in progress when that was happening. So I, I guess I do have those worries that maybe he's never really going to be the same Habenhausen. I've said that before too. I've had those worries as well, because especially with guys that are, that are small and rely on speed, yeah. uh, it, it can really hurt careers. So just fingers crossed for Pap. Uh, the other thing that came out of this round was uh, Whiten gets a bit bitey. Uh, it was an interesting call in that game that Gamble claimed that he'd been bitten on the arm. There was a mark there. Um, we've had the judiciary process run its course now, and he's gotten three weeks. I don't have a huge deal with the three weeks. I think it's fine. Um, there was some controversy, I guess, that they didn't take any action on the field. I was okay with that as well. Uh, Luke Gary, the resident Knights fan, might be happy with me saying any of this, but it's it's always hard because I think with these things that you'd really need, a lot of the time, I think you can just look at it, something in the bunker, Wilfred, and be able to make a call. But there's some things where I think that it needs quite a bit of 
time to look at it and actually a process where you're talking to the players involved and things and, and reviewing it. And you just can't do that live in a game. So I, I didn't really mind the action of that. Um, people will not like this. Well, Knights fans will not like this. I, I, I really, the more I watched it, Wilfred, the more I'm not sure what to make of it. Initially, I thought, geez, it looks like that he did bite him. But at the same time, the more I watched it, the more I thought, well, you know what? The NRL is all about head contact and stuff. And this is a headlock that the, that he's been put in from behind. And you could see how hard it was from Gamble because his muscles were flexing in his arm because he had a stiff arm and he was holding him very hard and tight around the head. Uh, the top of his forearm was basically the bridge of his nose. And I just sort of thought, well, you know what? Look, if you push your arm hard enough into someone's mouth, you're going to get teeth marks. Um, I've got a two-year-old. I can tell you if someone really wants to bite you, you're going to get your skin broken. Uh, so <laughs> it's um, I, I really, I'm, I'm really right in the middle of it, Wilfred. You know, I, I, I didn't have a real strong opinion either way, and I don't really mind about the result. Yeah, look, I think you. That's exactly how I feel as well, right? I, you know, I think back to the whole Proctor SJ kind of incident. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I think Proctor ended up. But he did he get sent off and then he got four weeks suspension. Yeah, four weeks. Yeah. So I, I think you know we obviously don't want biting in the game. That's pretty clear. Like it's it's a dumb thing to do, um, and, and it's not a good look for the game regardless. But I, I do understand what you're saying, right? That the, the position he was in, the fact that yeah, like what can he do if he genuinely can't breathe or whatever, or even if it's just involuntary, like you're just putting the pressure on. Like even through the mouth guard, I understand you can still leave teeth marks. So, and that's what I mean too. Just to clarify, like I'm not saying like there's never two wrongs make a right. Like if someone gives you a high tackle, you can't get up and punch him in the face. Just like if someone puts you in a headlock, it doesn't give you an excuse to bite. I yeah. more meant that it's it can even just be from the pressure of the arm in there and the type of tackle it was without even biting biting down. You know, and and that's a, that's what I was yeah trying to about to to get to. Like you know, I, I don't think Gamble's making it up. Like he probably felt like he was bitten. Like he would have he would have felt the teeth. Oh, of course, right. yep. But it's more, you know, was it an actual bite? Did he intend to bite down? Um, and I think, I, you know, there's a lot of parallels, I think, because SJ, when he gave evidence for Brockley, he was saying, you know, I felt it looked like, it felt like a bite, but, yeah, he didn't feel like it, afterwards he reflected and he's like, I don't think he tried to bite me. Just his teeth, put, you know, just put the mark onto my arm. <laughs> yeah, and I, I kind of felt like both players were right, maybe, you know, like it's, I, I don't think that, Whiten really chomped down if I were to push to make a decision. I do think that Gamble believes he was bitten because he had pressure from the teeth into his arm because of the way he tackled him. You know, it's, yeah. I, I, I don't think it's, there was any huge drama for me on how it played out. Um, NRLW, we've got to touch on uh, the players of the team of the week, but the, the few players of the round that I want to pinpoint. Can I just say that Tamika Upton, just about every week, is the best fullback in the NRLW, and we're like nine weeks in or something now. Well, eight weeks in. We're two months into the season. That goes for another week after this. And Tamika Upton, every single week for the Knights is outstanding. The Knights did a number on the Roosters. The Roosters were missing Sergis, which is a big loss. Uh, but they still got done comprehensively 20-4, to four, uh, which was a big win for the Knights and put them on top of the NRLW letter. But Tamika Upton had like two line breaks, uh, really good defensively, uh, nine tackle busts, and... She was just outstanding, 260 metres, which running-wise is amazing, but she's doing it every single week. Uh, and the other person in this side as well, I'm just such a massive fan of Southwell. Um, like, it's it's just amazing how well she's playing as a young number seven. And I just I, I just love watching her play, just her, 
her attitude, the way she marshals that team around, the way she competes. You saw her kick a goal a couple of weeks ago to win the game, and she was, you know, just so competitive. Those two, that number seven and number one for the Newcastle Knights women's side, are absolutely carving up every single week at the moment, and I just love watching them play, even though I'm a Roosters fan. I I have to admit, you know, I didn't get to watch any of the women's games this week. I've just been too busy. But, you know, when you talk about Upton, you know, she obviously started off as a Bronco, and I was really upset that she left <laughs> i know it's been two years now but yeah i, I was thinking you know she's gonna be one of the best women's players in the game and yeah i mean it's hard to argue with what she's dishing out week on week out for the knights at the moment so yeah i yeah i thought i'd throw in that <laughs> throw that in there as a broncos fan <laughs> Oh no! It's you can throw in whatever you like, mate. That's fine. It's um, she had two two tries with those line breaks as two, by the way. So she had the double. Um, but it's just uh, I, I will say with Southwell too, she ran for three hundred twelve meters as a halfback on the weekend. Like, just it's, it's just amazing. And she's only eighteen years old, Jesse Southwell. It, it's it, it when people question the future of the NRLW, you just need to pick, look at the young girls like Jesse Southwell to see. Um, how good the future is because she's going to be in the game for another 12 years plus. Uh, a couple of other quick ones as well. Um, you know, we don't talk about the Titans too much when we're mentioning the NRLW, but uh, Jamie Chapman, the first career uh, hat trick for any Titan in a match. She ran for 207 metres, had three line breaks and three tries. So a bit of history made for the Titans as well. And I've got to say too, um, I've been... The Sharks are actually in their first year, Wilfred, but they're, and they're out of the running now for the finals, unfortunately. It's down to the top five sides of who's going to make up the top four after this round of football for the NRLW. But Emma Tonegato was a huge signing for the Sharks, uh, former Dally M winner, and she's come into that number six jersey for the Sharks and absolutely killed it. She had two line breaks in this game, really strong running, and she's just one of those players that, just looks like a step above everyone else. And that Sharks side didn't have her. Like when you're having a look at the ladder, the Sharkies are in seventh. They've had three wins. Um, they're out of contention for the finals, obviously. But if they didn't have her, they'd be on the bottom of the table, in my opinion. You know, she's just been such a strike weapon for them and really held that attack together and how she runs the ball. I just love watching. So she's probably the other one I'll pinpoint from the last round, uh, Emma Tonegata. Yep, uh, I think when what well, she started off at the Dragons, right? If I'm not mistaken, then yeah, Delhi and Middlesex. Yeah, that's right. And I thought you know that was a really really impressive breakout season, and yeah, to to see her change club and obviously change position, and you know play for a brand new club. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know she'll just grow as a player, no doubt. And um, I, I'm not sure if she'd be better off as a fullback if she moves back there later. I wonder if she's playing six because she has to at the moment uh, for the Sharks. But yeah, uh, I think you know there'll be good signs. It's always hard, right, when you're a new club and they're obviously still trying to expand the comp. I think it'll probably be another one or two years before it really, you know, the talent evens out a little bit more. I feel like right now the Knights are fairly top heavy <laughs> to put it <laughs> to put it lightly. Hence why they're dominating. Uh, what about my Roosters, though? Um, them. Yeah, you know, we we always know the Roosters are top heavy. Let's not go around that. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you're, to finish up on the NRLW wrap for the week, uh, your Broncos and Raiders are on equal points, 10 each in fourth and fifth spot. So all of a sudden, you know, the Broncos' dom- dominance has started to wane a little bit on the NRLW, which is good um, because the Raiders are a new side and they could play finals football their first year. The Broncos had, had a really good win 
um, over the Tigers 22 to 18 in that they had to come back and win that. The Raiders thumped the Cowboys 34 to 12. This last week, the Raiders have the Titans who are in third. Tough game. Uh, but the Dragons have the Broncos. You now, the Dragons are out of it, but I know that Jamie Soward will, will be pumped up to get a win against the Broncos. And you've got a lot of history in the girls' comp Dragons versus Broncos. So uh, whoever loses out of these two matchups goes out. And then it's going to come down to four and against if both wins. So your Broncos girls, they're going to need to beat the Dragons away from home uh, to to be a chance. And even then the Raiders, I think, could thump the Titans and still get through. So it's going to be a really nail-biter finish for the NRLW this week. I kind of feel like, though, whoever sneaks into fourth and they're just probably just making up the numbers in the finals, not to, you know, not to downplay uh, what they could achieve, but it really feels like it's, you know, it's the Knights competition to lose. Maybe to the Roosters. Yeah, the Knights night, competition to the lose to the Roosters sounds good <laughs> to me. Uh, we've got our last four segments that we're going to machine gun through real quickly, um, partially because I'll apologise again. My voice is still going in and out because I'm still sick after a few weeks um, trying to push out the content still though. Positive pitch for the week. This is where we talk about something positive. And I'm going to actually take something negative and turn it into a positive here, Wilfred. Uh, Latrell Mitchell, he um, got called out on the weekend for refusing a photograph with fans. And he rightly came out and said, uh, no, I'd never refused it. Uh, I actually said, just wait until after the game because I was watching the kids play. And I said, after the game, I'm happy to do it. And there was some spectators that all said, you know, Latrell was mobbed and stayed there for the entire day watching all the kids play for, you know, a whole day of games. And I have to say, look, I'm someone who is critical of Latrell on the field. Um, think sometimes he gets away with a free pass with some of his performances, some of his training habits, some of his professionalism, and some of his attitude at times. But I have never, ever questioned what a phenomenal uh, representative of the NRL he is for the fans and particularly for the kids. Uh, and he puts in so much with kids. It is unbelievable the work that he puts in and how positive he is as an influence on the young generation of rugby league players and fans. And I've got no doubt that um, the 99.9% of people that came out and supported Latrell Mitchell is right, that he would have taken photos with every single fan on the weekend that he could. And he's just so accommodating with every single child that that wants to step up and chat to Latrell. So that's something that he's been so amazing at forever. He deserves props at it on it because certainly we tear him down sometimes on his performances. Uh, But I thought that was pretty poor form for someone to come out and say, you know, there, there was one time that he said no to a picture and it wasn't even no, it was like, when the game finishes and I finish watching the kids, I'll, I'll take as many as you want type of thing. You know, he's always done that and I really respect him for it. And it's really positive for the game. Yeah, I, I think I absolutely agree. You know, Latrell's had a, a clear track record of always really being good to fans. So, you know, when those reports firstly came out, I, I was quite surprised, but yeah, I'm not surprised that obviously he came out and set the story straight and, that, that lines up with a lot more of uh, what we expect from Latrell Mitchell when it comes to off the field involvement and things like that. So, yeah, I'm not too, I'm not too, um, you know, not not surprised ultimately that yeah the the story was set straight. Uh, I think you're right. Like he's definitely really really good with the kids, and he's often, you know, he, I think in his on his Insta right, he ended up showing like you know a whole series of photos of how how much he's done with kids and, and junior mm. footy and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it definitely would be extremely out of character if he had ever told a you know, younger fan that he wouldn't take a photo with them. Um, but, yeah, as you say, it, it makes sense. It all lines up. 
Yeah, and look, if if he ever did, you know, I think you can't expect players all the time to just accommodate every single thing, you know, especially when they're a superstar like Latrell and get mobbed and stuff. I wouldn't even blame him for putting it off and saying, look, I've taken enough or I've signed 5,000 autographs, I need to sit down or whatever, you know. Like, people need to be a little bit um, supportive of the fact that he's got the runs on the board and the amount that he actually does do. Spray of the week, though. Oof. <laughs> Valentine Holmes in his bag. What an absolute imbecile. I cannot believe the continued lack of brain cells that NRL players have. He has put a picture on his own Instagram account. His own Instagram account. This isn't even like a fan taking a picture of him in a vulnerable moment. His own Instagram account, he puts a photo up of himself drinking with a bag in his mouth mouth that looks like drugs. Now, I'm not going to debate here whether it is drugs or the whole technicality of you can't drug test him so you can't prove it or whatever. I mean... What else is he going to have in his mouth for a start? But I don't even care whether it's drugs or not. The utter stupidity of doing it and the bad image that it has for the NRL. I am someone who would be happy for the NRL to throw the book at things like this at the moment because we do it with so many other things, Wilfred. You know, we have Jared Weir Hargrave sitting on the sideline for seven weeks for high tackles and stuff. And yet you have somebody like Holmes put this up and it's just a terrible image for the game tarnishes his image completely. You have young fans, teenagers that follow these guys on Instagram and stuff, and you have him doing something like that. And I don't accept that it's an excuse. It's a joke. Even if I accepted that, and, you know, common sense-wise, I don't, but even if I accepted that and said, okay, fine, it's a joke, you weren't really taking drugs, I don't care. It's almost as bad. Like, what are you doing? It's just such poor judgment. I'm just flabbergasted by it, and I'm going to finish off by saying, Wilfred, one of the things that really that kind of irked me a little bit, and I was sort of on the players' side of the negotiations with the CBA, and then I was on the NRL side more, and I flip-flopped a little bit, and there were certainly issues on both sides that I agreed with. But one of the things that the players brought up in those negotiations was they didn't want the NRL to have free reign to invest or spend their own money. And one of the things that was brought up was well, if you make a bad decision and and we lose money on something, then, you know, we shouldn't have to cop that, which I felt was a bit rich when, you know, the players are technically employees of the game and stuff and whatever. But, yeah, the amount of times that players actually cost the NRL money, like the NRL doesn't turn around and say, uh, every time that the players do something stupid, we're not going to suspend or fine the player. We're actually going to take money out of the cap or we're going to take money out of your pockets because... Honestly, things like what Holmes did on the weekend, people do not understand the amount of financial damage it does to images and stuff with player behaviour. And this is maybe going a little bit hard on Holmes, and I don't mean to, I'll talk a bit generally, but player behaviour like this in general, Wilfred, is there. Every single month that's there, there's something stupid that a player does. And every single year, there's half a dozen things that are really serious, whether it's beating up on a woman or something as abhorrent as that, failing drug tests or whatever, that all wipes wipes money off the bottom line of what the game actually makes. And players just don't seem to get it still in 2023. Yeah, look, I I pretty much agree with everything you've just said there. I, you know, joke or not, even if, let's say, as you say, if even if he was joking, it's just a, such a dumb joke to make, right? <laughs> it's like, why would you imply that you're having an illicit substance in your mouth on social media, like, you know, yeah. so totally agree. Uh, at the end of the day, the players aren't helping themselves. And I think the biggest issue for me is, you know, I don't think anyone pretends that players aren't taking 
these substances, right? Just like people aren't pretending that, you know, a lot of members of society aren't going out and enjoying some recreational drugs, illicit drugs even. But why would you do that on social media when you've got, you know, thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of followers, many of which are, are kids, you know, who are looking up to you guys as their football idols. Uh, and, you know, when, when you think about stuff like that, like it just, they obviously just aren't thinking full stop. <laughs> and yeah, it very clearly shows, you know, they don't have that. I don't know if it's a responsibility or they don't see it as their responsibility to act in a way that, you know, is they can be actual role models for people around them. But I guess it's hard because I know there are a lot of upstanding, you know, young gentlemen who play football and they are good role models, right? But it definitely gets coloured by the, you know, 5% of boneheaded idiots who do stuff like this. Oh, it's super unfair to the good role models in the game of which there is a majority. But at the same time, I even think, like, if you're a bad role model or you're a dropkick, you're being paid to be a good role model and not a dropkick. Yep. You know, like, I don't, I don't care if that's you. You're being paid a lot of money to not be that. And that's all you got to do to get paid your money. You know, Valentine Holmes is on a million bucks a year. He's a guy that is old enough, experienced enough to know better. Yep. Listener's Corner. What do we do about the final stadium issues? Wilfred, I'm going to let you start off with this one. So I guess the the issue we're discussing is, you know, should these teams be able to play their home finals at suburban grounds, right, in a nutshell? So, you know, for this one, uh, more looking at the Sharks, I think their max capacity at Shark Park is it's either ten or twelve thousand. One of those, and uh, I actually think it's closer to fourteen. But twelve got twelve nine got brought down to ten. Somehow. Okay, but yeah. yeah. Um, and look, let's let's be honest. Yeah, it's not the best look. There are certain bits of construction and stuff around the place. You know, it doesn't look great uh, on on you know in, in terms of vision and and the photos that are sending around there. And then the Panthers also, I think they you know they obviously sell out all their home games, but like. If I'm not mistaken, their maximum capacity at um at Bluebet Stadium is somewhere around like it's a lot fair bit better. Like I think twenty one, twenty two thousand roughly. Yeah, about twenty two. So I feel like that you know there's probably no questions about the Panthers, right? That's not an issue playing a suburban ground up there. It's more just you know like it's the Sharks, it's the Tigers if they were to play finals and have a home final. Like it's those kind of suburban grounds where you're only barely getting you know, 10 to 12, 13, 14, let's call it 14,000. I mean, like, you know, the Knights aren't an issue here. Like they get 30 grand, uh, sorry, 30,000 over at McDonald Jones Stadium. So that there's no you know, issues there. Um, I feel like it's such a, a minor thing at the end of the day, right? Like it's the week one of finals. I think if they make it to the prelim or even week two, I think maybe week two they still get to play at their home ground, but if they make the prelim right, they have to go to a core, don't they? If I'm not mistaken, or I think so. Yeah, so it seems like a huge storm in a teacup, right? Just one or two weeks of finals. If if these teams with the small suburban grounds make the finals, they you know are, like it's the rules are clear, like they've earned the right to play at home, and that is their home ground where they play throughout the season. So. I, I tend to think just let them play. If the NRL has such issues with the, you know, the facilities or whatever, then maybe the NRL needs to chip in and help them repair it a little, make it look a bit nicer or something. I don't know. Over to you. What, what are your thoughts on it? So I'm just so annoyed at the media. I had a massive crack at Andrew Webster 
um, four days out from that finals game with the Sharks and the Roosters, he puts up this massive article in the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. Having a huge crack at the NRL and their stupidity and, and how this is a major issue in the game and all this stuff. And I said to him, mate, if this was such a big issue, why are you bringing up four games before a finals match? Where was this article six months ago? You know, it's 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 just ridiculous to me that the media and also some, some fans too. Rugby league is one of those rare sports where we sabotage ourselves all the time. We have something positive happening in the finals. And then all of a sudden, half of what we're talking about is where the stadiums that we're playing at. Like, everybody knew this all year. You know, and if we wanted to change the rules and stuff, we could have done it six months ago. If people wanted to call out the NRL, for, could have done it six months ago. It's no secret the capacity what the Shark Park is. Um, and yet we wait and think, oh, let's talk about it the week of the finals. No, it's finals time. These are the rules. This is what we're doing. Uh, it's It was crazy to me that it kind of ho- it hijacked that Chartreuse's game. And it was also crazy to me that people thought that it should be changed. Like, you can't change the rules the week of the finals. <laughs> you, you just can't do that, surely. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're pretty much on the same page here. I, I agree, like, generally with your point there. Like, the media, they have such a weird relationship, right? Because they love writing about rugby league. But the more they bash it, you know, the, it hurts the game, right? And if it hurts the game, you know, the broadcast still, uh, you know, like the ratings will go down. Um, you know, they get less clicks at the end of the day. I, I understand the whole outrage uh, culture that we have. And, you know, at the end of the day, I do know a lot of the you know, negative articles get all the clicks. Whereas, you know, when the media do the, do the right thing and they put out the positive articles, like there's just not as much interest. And that's the sad part, right? Because I love reading about those good news stories. You know, I bet if they put a a story of Latrell going out and spending, you know, whole whole week with you know running a junior sports carnival or something like that, you know, really good feel good story, and they don't put any, you know, they'll get like a ten percent of the clicks that they would get for the story they put out. But you know, these fans, uh, you know, these young fans apparently being told to go away or whatever. Like it, that's just the way the the rugby league media is consumed, unfortunately. I could have just spoken about the finals matchup though, and just like not. I, I just I don't yeah. I, I don't get fo- focusing so much on it when it's. If you want to change it, change the offseason. I'll throw something else to you, Wilfred, that I was curious about. Like people are saying, I'll oh, change it. You know, the Sharks earn home ground advantage, and then people turn around and say, oh, "Well, it's not like they finished top four. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but those are the rules, number one. But like, what's your barometer here? Like, are you going to be less outraged if they were if they were first, and you say, oh, "Okay, well, because they were first, you know that." We'll let it play at Sharp Park. We don't really care that it's 12,900 capacity or whatever it is or the construction or whatever. Yeah. That's okay. Like, it's still going to be the same. Like, where's your where's your line in the sand? Like, is it okay if you finish first or second? Or what if we get to that point? Are people going to whinge about it being played at Sharp Park if they're the minor premiums? Like, you know what I mean? Like, surely you just have to say that they've earned it and you wear it because they could have finished first. They could have finished second. You can't very well take a final away from someone randomly the week of just because... You don't like the stadium. Yep, no, I totally agree. I I don't think it's controversial from from my perspective. It, you know, I have no issues with the current rules. It just, yeah, if there is an issue about the quality of the facilities, then maybe the NRL should step in and help a little bit because ultimately they benefit too. Well, that's right, and I mean, look, you know, it's you know, Allianz got thrown around for the Roosters. I mean, you can't play at Allianz. It's a much better stadium and a state of the art. But look. I'm a Roosters fan. I didn't want to play there because I thought it was incredibly unfair because it's a Roosters home ground, you know, and the Sharks earned that. But 
more so, to your point, to finish up on the podcast, the Roosters have the government putting in money for that stadium and doing it all, you know? Like, you can't disadvantage teams that don't have the money or don't have the third-party backing or the government putting money in and hundreds of millions of dollars to upgrade a stadium. You can't penalise those teams for not having money. And like you said, you know, if, if, if the facilities aren't good enough, well, that's on the NRL, isn't it? Because they should have facilities that are good enough for the level that the NRL is at in the rugby league world, which is the best competition in the world. And if Shark Park isn't up to it, then, like you said, put your hand in your pocket and start to fix it. Um, because I tell you what, we can't say next year out of 17 teams, two of you will never get a home final because, you you know, your ground isn't good enough. You know, that's just, I don't think that's going to fly with anybody. Yeah, no, I, I agree on that one there. So we are not going to have Legend Rewind this week. We are going to finish up the podcast just because of time constraints. We had too much to get through, everyone. But appreciate everybody listening. And more so, I appreciate Wilfred jumping on board and talking some footy with me. Wilfred, always a pleasure, mate. Thank you for jumping on. Thanks for having me, as always. Always an enjoyable time talking some footy with yourself there, Barnsley. Well, good luck for your Broncos, mate, in the NRLW and the NRL. And for everyone that wants to tune in, everywhere, Amazon, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. Make sure you hit subscribe. We'll be doing talking footy all through the finals. And you can also follow on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Jump on picklebet.com, our great partner, and use the affiliate code All Stars, all one word, just to sign up to an account today. Thanks very much for listening. Can't wait for the final this week and I'm going to be talking all about it again next week. Hey now, you're an All Star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, 